This is Mal Majoris, another episode of Radio Soup. So October 21st, there was a shooting on a set of a movie called Rust, and a cinematographer, uh, director of photography, Helena Hutchins, was shot and killed by Alec Baldwin. I mean, it was an accident. It was on set. He was using a revolver, and there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of talk, and I want to get into what should happen on a set versus what did happen on a set. I worked, as most of you know, in uh, post-production in L.A., uh, probably about 20 years ago on Walker, Texas Ranger, Crossing Jordan. Those were the two big shows I worked on. Um, I wasn't around the guns. I don't know anything about what the AD armor, anything like that has to do. And on the show today, we have Steve Wolf. He is an FX. Well, what is your title? What would you call yourself, Steve? Yeah, it depends on the project, but I could be a stunt coordinator, special effects coordinator, armor, pyrotechnician. Wow. So you could do it all. Heck, caterer if they need it. I don't care. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, would you bring Red Vines or Twizzlers? That's the question. Ooh, cliff bars. Okay, that's good. That's good. So let's start with the beginning. Well, obviously, this young woman has passed away, but if say that I was the the rookie armor, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who I guess she's from a prominent armor family in Hollywood. Can we say that? Is that... Well, certainly her, certainly her dad. Her dad, right. Del is, you know, very well regarded, one of the best in the business, if not the best. Right, so... I mean, I can imagine being 24 years old and having this happen. This is just horrifying. But she did have a mentor on set, and he hasn't been talking. No, she about had it. a mentor, but there's no evidence that they were on set. Oh, okay. So the mentor should have been on set. And, 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 and this would be the first call sheet I would have ever seen that had a title called Armorer Mentor. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's no such thing. That's made up. Oh. <laughs> so she should have, I mean... If you have a position on set where if you do your wrong job wrong, you could die, you know, you should be the department head. Right. Not okay. the, the mentor sitting back while the inexperienced person gets somebody killed. Right. Like those, I, I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. I know what I'm doing. I know how to, I know how to do this open heart surgery because I watched the, the YouTube video. Yeah. No. Right, because I stayed in a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> exactly. So, so there's very few jobs. You know, if you do crappy camera work, you know, the audience might get a little nauseous. Right. You know, if, you are, if you're out of focus, people can't see it. If the catering is bad, you know, people don't like working there. But, you know, nobody dies. There's really only a, two jobs on set where if you do your wrong job wrong, someone dies, and that's the armorer and the special effects right. coordinator. Well, those, those are not the places to cut corners and hire, you know, the 24-year-old kid who's never done this before. Right. Or exactly. has done it before with complaints. <laughs> From a major actor like Nicolas right. Cage. So, you know, that's a pretty silly way to go. Silly being a weak word where negligent or grossly negligent way to go would be a better word. Right. But that's that's for the lawyers to decide. We're, we're the armchair. Well, you're more of the, more of the Tom Brady armchair quarterback. I'm more of like the... I guess, high school quarterback. Yeah, I've, I've had several conversations with uh, the attorney oh. who's representing Ms. Hutchins' uh, husband. So you might be called as an expert witness, possibly? Yeah. Okay, Yeah. that makes sense. So if, if we were on first day of set and I was an actor and I needed a weapon, would it go from an armorer to the AD, like if someone was supposed to hand me a gun, I'm assuming there should be no, a safety no. meeting. No, okay, the, what would no, the, the, the AD has every right and should ask to see the gun, but not to handle the gun. 
so they, they should ask you to, you know, in, a, in the case of a revolver, they should ask you to rotate the cylinder. Right. Just show them the inside of each chamber as empty and then to pick up each item that's each cartridge that's going in and show them, you know, that it's either a dummy round or it's a blank. So what does a dummy round and, or a blank look like? So a blank has no bullet, so it's pretty easy right. to determine which, which that is. So it just looks dummy like round a, a cartridge? A little more complicated. Okay. It can either have a fired primer or no primer in the back. And in the place of the gunpowder, a couple of BBs are put inside it so that when you shake it, you can hear them. Okay. And so the armorer should, if they want the look of a loaded revolver for a front frontal shot, then the armorer picks up each cartridge, shakes them in the ear of the AD. The AD hears that the, hears the BBs rattle around, mm -hmm. realizes you know that these are manufactured dummy rounds, and then the armor loads them into the revolver in front of the AD and then hands the gun to the actor. Tells the actor, put this in your holster, don't take it out until you're supposed to, don't point it at anyone, don't press the trigger, I'll come take the gun back from you, don't hand it to anyone else or put it down uh, and leave it unattended. And then the armorer stands there and watches while the actor handles the firearm. If the actor mishandles the firearm, the armorer jumps down his throat as quick as possible right. and says, hey, I told you, point that gun down, and really runs the set. And if, it, and if the AD says, hey, we've got to go, I need that gun right now, you know what, tough shit, I'm going to make sure this gun is safe, right. and then I will hand you this gun. And don't tell me what to do again, or else you're going to need another armorer. Well, that makes and sense. So, right, so if you're in that kind of position where you're responsible for lives and people are pressuring you to rush, you know, you tell them, hey, this is the way we do it right, and if you don't want to do it right, get somebody else. Well, it seemed like they had some issues yeah, but with... The, but the thing is, you, you have to be like, you know, a, a semi-crusty old guy like me to do that, right. not a 24-year-old kid, you know, feeling super lucky to have her first job, her second job. Uh, and I imagine you know, they're not, they're not... Alec Baldwin mm -hmm. is pretty intimidating. As, as possibly. An actor. Yeah, possibly as a producer and an actor, and he's... Yeah, know, certainly as a character. As a character, and and all the issues they had with the camera operators uh, leaving that that morning or right. the night before. They right. were, well, they had the right idea. Well, yeah. Of, of all of the people who left, none of them are dead. Right. And they hired non-unit camera operators, and we're not going to get into that, but uh, back to the thing we were talking before the show, I think because of this situation, I'm really surprised that the union didn't strike because this was, yeah. this was, I don't, I'd say comedy of errors, but this, you know, the whole camera operators weren't allowed. I think they wanted to have whatever hours, however many hours of the day and then have hotel rooms they were promised. They didn't get that. They had to drive far away. It's like, come on, man. People can fall asleep on the road yeah, well, too. It, I mean, it's not uncommon for conditions to suck right, exactly. when you're making a low budget movie. If you if you join the crew of a movie who's with a seven million dollar budget, even though that used to be a big budget movie, right. you know now you, you can't expect that it's going to be a joyride, you know, and it, and it's it's unpleasant, but that's make that's movies. Right. But so you don't like your hotel room or you don't like the drive, you know. I'm sorry, but you know no, nobody dies from that. Right. And they always say we'll we'll be able to unless unless it's causing people to get insufficient amount of sleep exactly and then that impairs their safety judgment. So there are cases where inconvenience does turn into a danger, right. but in most of the cases that's not. So that seems pretty. I mean, would that be a standard thing on every set? 
that the armor and the AD would say, this, this is unsafe, shut it down. We can't have this. That would be standard, yeah. Okay. That would be the right way to go. They'd say, shut it down, replace the armorer, lock up all the guns, and when we get this situation under control, we'll, we'll resume. Now Let's move on to interior dialogue scenes that don't involve guns. Right. While we get this result. Now it seems like there was. No, you know, it doesn't have to ruin the production. Doesn't have to slow anything down. You just have to change courses for a minute while you figure some stuff out. Right. Now it seems like there were a lot of other factors that that were said in the media, like they said they didn't lock up the gun because of COVID. Now. I, I find that. That's right, because if, if one of the guns has been exposed to COVID, <laughs> they can give it to the other. Yeah, I don't, I, I didn't. And, and, then, and then you have a whole gun, a COVID, you know, mini pandemic. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't believe that either. And then they said they were using that gun. And, and did they in fact say it was an actual gun or a prop gun that Alec Baldwin used? Do they know? Well, there's no issue that it was a real gun because a prop gun can't shoot bullets. Okay. So they also said that some people were... So, so this, the terminology, uh, you know, a lot of they're saying it was killed with a prop gun. No, prop guns, you know, in most cases do not kill people. Okay. And in all cases, they don't shoot bullets. People have been killed by blanks. Right. Uh, there's still tremendous concussive force. John Hexham was killed mm -hmm. with, a, with a pure blank. And um, Brandon Lee was killed with a, a misused blank. Right. I was very, those are both very tragic. I was a young kid when John Eric Hexham, and he was like, if I had a poster of him in my bedroom. So he was, that was the first time that ah, I was just sad. I okay. Shows my age, sorry. Um, <laughs> I love the show Voyagers. I can't help it. It was cheesy, but it was good. Um, <laughs> and they also said that they were using this, that same gun that Alec Baldwin is using, just firing it before the scene. Just using it, going out, well, doing target practice. I mean, well, if he was firing it, then how could it be a prop gun? That's crazy. I know. That's true. That's yeah. true. So, I mean, it just seems like this armor, I mean, whoever was in control, which should have been her, like you said, even though she was 24 years old, she should have had the big brass ones to say, no, we're not going to use this to use target practice. No, we're going to check this. Right. She, she, she needed a WWDD bracelet. What would daddy do? <laughs> You know, and then just, if she's not sure what to do, she should just conjure, you know, Fel Reed and say, you know, for, for lack of my own uh, initiative, I'm just going to figure out what would my dad have done here. And if he, your, your dad would have told these people to stop it. So I've, I've also read other uh, armors and effects people say if they do have a shot where, like, say it's like Tombstone, where they're all firing towards the camera, they would do a lock down the set, lock down the camera, and then uh, roll remotely and possibly even put plexiglass in front of the in front of the camera just in case there's any issues i mean right plexi and that right because the what there are different ways that blanks are manufactured some of them just have a, a piece of paper wadding some have a small piece of foam wadding uh some of them create compression by crimping the end mm -hmm. of the casing and sometimes those crimped ends when they're unfolded so quickly you know, break off and cause you know a, a little bit of shrapnel you know, enough to cause an eye injury, not a, not a fatality. For a camera person to lose an eye, that's, that's pretty bad. Right. And I know that, uh, I believe the ABC show, The Rookie, said they're, they're going to do all of their gun effects now, CGI, which, I don't know. I mean, 
the death of Lena Hutchins was tragic, but how many gun accidents on sets do we really have? I mean, I count three. Uh, four, four out of, you know, hundreds of millions of rounds fired. Right. What was the fourth one? Was it Joel Souza and Helene Hutchins? Yeah, well, the, right, two injuries. Two injuries, okay. I don't know if there was another one that I didn't know about. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm glad that he's okay. Right, so, so, so for the number of shots fired, you know, it's a pretty safe industry. Right. Uh, you know, e even with, you know, using real guns managed properly. And I think there's nothing, but, there's nothing like the actual smoke coming out of a revolver when you're doing a period piece. And yeah, like and I'm that. sure you, I'm sure that you know CG smoke has come a long way too. Yeah, but come on. Uh, but you're an honor, yeah. you know. But, you know what I'm saying. Right. Well, the, the the real thing, you know, and and there's a cost factor. Right. You know, if if we shoot a gun or blow up a car in real life, you know, you go home with your footage before lunchtime. You could you could blow up the car, you know, 20 times before, you know, the morning coffee break, and one of those shots is going to work for you. If you do it in CG. You know, you could be weeks on a render farm to get a first viewing of it. True. And then if it's not right, you got to do it over and over. You know, it's, you, you can't make something look realer than real. Exactly. I agree. I, I, I think they they were going in the wrong direction. I think it was just a, a knee-jerk reaction to this this horrible incident. Right. And the, and the Rock isn't going to let real guns on its set anymore. Yeah, well... Who asked you? I, I mean, I think he was just jumping up to pop into the media spotlight for a minute. But well, he wants to be the next James Bond. How is he going to do that? That's what? He's supposed to be, he wants to be the next James Bond without a gun. I think right. I'll stop watching movies if he's the next James Bond. I'll just throw well, my I mean, TV like, into the I, ocean. I, I enjoy him as an actor. But, right. uh, you know, one of the ways that you stay out of trouble is by staying inside your circle of knowledge. Right. And when you jump out and, you know, you're now an actor and you decide that you're going to decide how the guns should work on your movie set, you know, are you going to decide how the camera should work and everything else, too? <laughs> yes. Please but tell the loader be, how be to happy the that, Be happy that you're, a, you know, a, a, an experienced actor and leave it at that. Yeah, be happy you have a job. Imagine all the people who don't, all the actors who are just right. struggling. Right. Well, I, I think that Alec Baldwin... He moved to the right place when he moved to New England, uh, Vermont. I grew up in uh, New Hampshire, and I know that they'll kind of like insulate him. I don't think people would, if people come to whatever town of Vermont he went to, uh, they won't let outsiders, you know, find out where he is and like go to his home, uh, which is. Yeah, possibly, possibly not. Yeah. Uh, or, 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 yeah, I mean, that's a, the Vermonters are pretty private. Yes. Respectful people. So you and, must have uh, you must have had a lot of interviews this week, especially with this. Did Alec Baldwin just go on TV recently about his? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's going on on. Um, he's going on. I believe he's got an ABC interview uh, that's going to air on ABC tomorrow night. Oh. He's got to get ahead of the uh, the lawsuits, I suppose. Now, do you think Rust will ever be? finished I'm told that Russ was shut down and it's done yeah I can't imagine they would go back to that I can't imagine anyone who'd want to, who'd want to go on that set and just that's just sad very sad yeah and you yeah, said I'll pay for the sequel rusted <laughs> rusted and busted exactly yeah so what do you think is going to happen to uh, the armor I doubt she, I, I, I doubt she's going to work in the business again as an armor 
Yeah, I would, I would be inclined to agree. I think based on her work history, mm-hmm. you'd be setting yourself up for a lot of liability to hire her for that position again. But the, you know, the facts aren't all in. So right. we, we, we leave the, you know, it's just as likely that, that she said exactly the right things, that she told people what they were supposed to do, that nobody listened, that the assistant director was just trying to press the schedule through. Mm-hmm. And they said, never do that. You know, okay, th- thanks for your advice. We'll come back when we need you. Right. And then went on and did what they wanted to do. But at which point, you know, she could have disagreed. She could have locked the guns up. But in all likelihood, you know, they would have fired her. Right. Which I wish they kind of would have fired her because then Helena would be alive today, possibly. Yeah, that's right. You know, I think the problem with with Hollywood is there's always like, well, there's always 10 people behind you to take your spot. So you should be lucky you have a job. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I can't tell you how many times no, I. I mean, I, I never worked on a movie where I didn't have that sense of awareness. Right. Like you know, there's 500 guys behind you. Would love to have this job. But they're not you. I mean, they're not as good as you. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you hope that. well right. you, you know that you're you're a professional. I mean, people are are getting your uh, right information. But, but the producers aren't always thinking qualitatively or experientially. They're thinking right. financially. Exactly. So they say, well, what's the difference between you and the guy I can get for half the price? It's like, okay, well, if that's the kind of movie you want to make, go with the other guy. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't sound like I want to be on this movie. No. So what are you working on now besides uh, taking interviews for Rust? <laughs> right now I'm launching a new venture oh. called Pyro Nemesis. Oh, what is that? And if you're sitting anywhere near a computer and go to pyronemesis.com, you will see what I believe to be the future of wildfire fighting. Oh, wow. Do you see a picture on that website? Hold on. I have to learn how to type. Okay. Pyro, <laughs> P-Y-R-O, I know Nemesis. I know. I have fat uh, fingers on my phone. Hold on. That's okay. So I've been lighting things on fire, blowing stuff up for 30 years. And apparently, every time you light something on fire, they expect you to be the one to put it out as well. <laughs> they would hope so, so. So, so for every bit of knowledge I've acquired about ignition, I've acquired a, a counter piece of knowledge about suppression. And after having lit and put out so many thousands of fires, I've learned just as much about how to put out fire as how to start it. And it turns out that one of the methods that I was experimenting with for putting out fires works extremely well at scale for putting out wildfires. And there's there's currently not a the technology for a direct attack on a wildfire. So when they go to fight a wildfire, they use sophisticated tools like shovels, uh, <laughs> chainsaws. What are these uh, tools they, that they, you speak of? Hmm. Yes, right. Uh, and they haven't changed much because you know, there's only two things the fire department doesn't like, uh, the way things are and change. Uh, so I'm, I'm switching gears to move from lighting fires to putting out fires. And essentially, I've come up with the idea of a logging skitter, which is a very, very territory-capable machine that can, you know, climb a mountain grab 40,000 pounds of lumber and drag it down through, you know, icy ravines and make it there safely. So if you want to fight a fire, you have to go to the fire. And to get there, you have to have a vehicle that lets you do it. And then once you get there, I attack the fire with four jet engines to blow 250-mile-an-hour winds at the fire to literally blow the burning trees out of the ground 
blow the brush away, blow burning grass off out of the dirt and strip the area of anything flammable wow. while taking all that flammable material and throwing it back into the charred zone. So I'm using four jet engines and 800 misting nozzles to create a hurricane on wheels to literally blow out fires. Yep. I don't know if you remember watching Superman ever, but you know how you never see Superman and Clark Kent in the same place? Yes. You never, you never see a wildfire and a hurricane in the same place. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because the, the torrential rains and you know, when winds are just too disruptive and suppressive of fire. Has this been tried on any wildfires yet? By so, you? so this is, it's been, it's been tried on more than a wildfire. It's been tried on an oil well fire. Oh, wow. And it blew out the oil well fire in about six seconds. Well, oil is the perfect fuel. And a, and a well is an endless supply of that perfect fuel. So if you can blow that out with this technology, you know, a wildfire really doesn't stand a chance. What, what a wildfire has that an oil well fire doesn't have is locality. Right. The oil well doesn't move. The wildfire moves unpredictably and quickly. So you just, you have to be able to keep up with it. And you have to get where it's, you know, you have to anticipate where it's going, get there first, and then blow back at it. Well, you could save um, millions of, of acres in California. With all the wildfires. Right. So they have not only millions of acres of wildfire, but the, the current prediction is that the number of acres consumed annually by wildfires will quadruple in the next 10 years. Wow. As the climate gets warmer and drier, you, you, the, the conditions you know, are, are favoring wildfire. So a new technology is, is very much necessary you know, if, if we're going to stand a chance of putting these climate-driven infernos out. Has anyone bought your technology yet, or you're still just on the on the cost? So I'm not selling the technology. I'm selling the service. Okay. Because it's not it's not the type of technology that you could buy right. and expect to to use safely. Any more than you know, if someone breaks into your house, you don't like run down to the neighborhood store and buy a sniper rifle. <laughs> and you call the SWAT team. Right. And you trust them to bring the right equipment and the right tactics, you know, for for the situation to get you safe. So Pyro Nemesis is being built as a service company. Hurricane as a service. That's awesome. Um, should be able to go in and, and um, help states. You know, states were not established for the purposes of putting out wildfire. Which, besides and California, it, that's probably all of them. Right. <laughs> you know, but typically, you know, up, up to a third of the people fighting any given wildfire are inmates, you know, on a work release program. Oh. So the, you know, the experience level and the skill level, you know, is, is not necessarily that high. So, but, you know, but if you put together, you know, the SEAL Team 6 of wildfire, then it just becomes cheaper and more efficient for a state to hire you to do that than to be in that business themselves. Right. That makes sense. Wow. That's pretty cool. So, that, that's, so that's, that's what I'm envisioning for myself for the next 30 years. And developing non-toxic suppressant materials, you know, they will be a lot safer than the materials that are being used now. They, have, they probably haven't changed the materials lately, have they? No. 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 And, you know, the, the most commonly used chemicals now are, you know, full of phosphates. They cause mm -hmm. huge algae overgrowth. You know, they're not, you're not allowed to use them near lakes and streams because, you know, they're toxic. They kill the fish. Right. So why would you want to drop that kind of stuff on a, on a forest? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, so... As a general policy, you know, we're not going to put anything into the pyronemesis machines that we wouldn't drink. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, keep it simple. Very cool, very cool. The, the, the drink test. So you go to all the, all, all the other manufacturers and you say, you know, would you drink what you're spraying on the forest? <laughs>
It's like that scene in Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's where things are going. And, and I think that Hollywood, as, mm-hmm. as you know from your own experience, is full of extremely creative oh, yes. people. And, and, you know, rich with engineering knowledge and ability to envision things that haven't existed and, you know, create them so that we can put them in movies. And I think many people in, the, in Hollywood at some point get to a point in their career where they'd like to see that their knowledge and their abilities you know, put to use in something that is, is of greater service to mankind than you know, making a 90-minute a silly movie. Exactly. And this is it. Yeah, um, so it's, a, it's, it's a great place to hone your, you know, your creative abilities and your engineering skills. But it doesn't really do a lot for society. And right now, you know, society's in, in a pickle and needs a lot of help. Hey, that's true. So, and you'll definitely help. I mean, this, this, this well, will help. Well, I'm helping. People. You know, I'm, I'm, my, my engineering team consists almost entirely of, of uh, special effects fabricators and pyrotechnicians and people understand, you know, what it means to work on a creative project, what it means to work quickly. And and be very you know mission goal oriented. And probably feeling it's about time to get out of the biz. Sometimes you you hit that you hit the wall where you're just like, all right, this was fun, but I'm done. Right. right. Exactly. Now what am I going to do for a real job? What's my day job? <laughs> oh, that's what my mom. So I've been saying. very lucky, you know, and I, I mean I've loved <laughs> that for thirty years. My day job was blowing up cars and stuff. That was. What was your first you know, job? My first job. Yes. Uh, working on student films. Oh, nice. What about your first? I, I could, I'd go to work on, uh, you know, NYU student films that couldn't afford a, a real special effects coordinator, but needed somebody, you know, who could show up and make a decent de- attempt at it. Nice. And I worked as a set medic, you know, look, looking after what the stunt guys were doing and trying to figure out how to keep them safe. You know, and I went on one of my first movies, you know, I, I saw the way they had set up a ramp where they were supposed to jump a motorcycle through the window of a building. And I said, you know, your ramp is pointed right at the right at the window. And he said, yeah, because that's where we're going. And I said, yeah, but what about gravity? <laughs> you, you don't. I said, you, you you're going to travel in a parabola, not in a in a straight line. And he said, you know, look, let's agree on something. You drive the ambulance, I'll do the stunts. Oh. Twenty minutes later, I'm driving him to the hospital with two broken knees. Oh no. So you know, so I always worked with an eye towards safety. And I think once you've been a paramedic, you know, you're, you're just always thinking about how are people going to get hurt. Right. And then, and then as an engineer, you figure out how, to, how do we keep that from happening. And with your, um, with your pyronemesis, you will. Pyronemesis provides us an endless opportunity for ways to think about how people might get hurt and to engineer around them. Probably awesome. one of the most dangerous things you could do on, a, on the planet is put yourself in the path of an oncoming wildfire. Yes. They, they, they can travel, you know, upwards of 800 feet per, per second. and Jump. You know, and w- with 2,000 degree flames, it's not a good place to be. It's, you know, it's as, as hellish as we can create here. So to, to voluntarily do that <laughs> because you think you have an idea that might work, it's a little out there. But um, working with lots of really skilled people from the fire industry and the forestry industry. Well, this and, seems like... Uh, chemists. It's one of the first of its kind out there. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's, the, it's the first really novel approach to, to wildfire suppression. 
right now they, they try to cut a fire line, basically, which means to create an area without fuel that when the fire reaches it, it will stop. But the fire doesn't stop because it's so hot that the heat breaches the barrier and ignites the materials on the other side. The fires leap across, driven by wind. The embers fly, you know, 40 to 50 miles and reignite more fires. So it's really, you know, a treacherous situation. But as an entrepreneur, you know, you see every every problem as an opportunity. Exactly. When I look at a wildfire, I just think, I think like an engineer, you know, how, how... how could we get this fire out? And then how could we make a living doing that? Because it looks pretty exciting. And, and it's a better living than uh, being a, an expert witness in a trial, I would say, unfortunately. Uh, probably. If you're talking, you know, dollars per hour, they're both well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, not necessarily monetarily, but you'd rather help save lives with, the, with your pyro nemesis than that's right. Talk That's about right. this, this and, and, you know, tragedy. When you're doing expert witness work, you're hoping that the verdict that comes from your your advice will serve as you know as in, in, it will either inform or deter right. future behavior. Right. But if if you're an expert on a rock climbing case, you know, in, in a climbing wall, and someone was using a piece of equipment that's very easy to, to misuse, then you hope that the judgment that comes will lead people to use different pieces of equipment and, you know, less, less loss of life or less injury. Exactly. So you always hope something good is coming from it. But whenever you're doing a job where you feel like, you know, you're, you're looking at your watch and you're just there for the money, you know, that's no way to spend your life. Exactly. Well, you're, you're going to be helping a lot of people with your pyro nemesis, that's for sure. Well, I hope so. It's got a lot of, you know, alternative uses as well. Painting bridges oh. without having to put people hundreds of feet in the air. Uh, suppressing dust during explosive operations where mm. typically lots of carcinogens are released. And I think that you could even use this for freezing lava as it flows down the side of a volcano. Oh, wow. Because typically lava is not very high above. It's not very much above its freezing point. So the, you know, the freezing point of lava might be like 1,200 degrees and it's rolling down the hill at 1,400 degrees. <laughs> if you could just cool it, you know, 200 degrees, you know, you're, you're freezing it. And so you could stop it before it, you know, takes, takes down a village. Wow. The question is whether you believe that the, if, if you happen to believe that the flow of the lava is the expression of the Earth's God's artistry, <laughs> and that it's uh, sinful to interfere with that, uh, then you have to let, let it do what it's going to do. Right, you can't help that. You can't but, help that. Right, but if you, uh, <laughs> but if you work for the insurance company that's insuring the buildings that are in the lava's path, then you take a different tack on it. Oh, that's awesome. and, and that actually, so that, that's been one of the obstacles to some of the um, lava redirection programs. Really? Is that the the natives in Hawaii believe that you know that you're not supposed to interfere with the way you know the lava god expresses itself on Earth? But what if it goes to towards the the mayor's multi-million dollar house? It's still still cool though, right? Yeah, right. It depends <laughs> what, which church the mayor goes to. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. right. Yeah, so. but if you don't ask them, and you just if you ask his insurance company, they're gonna like put that fire out and get that lava out of here. Yeah, it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission, right? In some cases. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you'll if you'll sign something ab- ab- absolving the the natives of any 
um, responsibility exactly in, in terms of how the gods may react to what you've done well maybe you, you know the gods may have brought you around to bring pyro nemesis I mean how do they know you know it's hard to tell <laughs> they, I think that they don't know me but they know their their spirits very true, very true. that's interesting uh, <laughs> but that's that's the big thing now so I'm, I'm doing a, a fundraise right now to put the initial round of funding together to build the prototype Pyronemesis units and uh, is that on your website as well the fundraiser uh, the, uh, no oh. I, I haven't done it as a public raiser yet okay but that's that's where we're starting so we got our first seed money from Tim Draper who's Probably the most famous venture capitalist. He put the first money into Tesla, Bitcoin, oh. Hotmail, and, and an investment from him is a pretty strong signal to the investment community that something's probably not a terrible idea. Awesome. Yeah, so then, where, where do you go from that? The other venture capitalists donate their money. Yeah, from from, from from there you go to other VCs or you know family firms or private investors. Um, and then you know you can open it up from there. Right. Awesome. But I, I, I'm I'm hoping to learn as little as possible about the finance side oh, of it, yeah. because there's already people who know how that works. And you know, just like I don't want to be the armorer who knows nothing about guns. Right. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be the entrepreneur who like, oh, don't worry, I saw this once in a commercial. I know how to you know run the finances <laughs> of the company. Exactly. That sounds like a, a recipe for failure. So. You know, so I've hired people who understand that side of the business so that I can stay in the shop and do the stuff I like and get my hands dirty with jet engines. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I think it will be. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Well, Steve Wolf, thank you so much for joining us today. Pyronemesis.com is, is one you want to check this out. It's very cool. has a lot of cool pictures and information about it. And I'm sure we'll be seeing you more. I saw you on TMZ earlier today talking about... Uh, holding up a gun and showing how Alec Baldwin might not have shot, squeezed the trigger or whatever he said. I don't know. I don't even. Yeah. So, so <laughs> ideally you, you press the trigger. Right. If you intend to shoot a gun, you, you should be thinking the word press. And then that, that word invokes the right um, muscle groups. But he can think whatever he wants. I mean, it, we weren't, we were not there. So. Right. But. The gun was in his can't charge him with what he thought. Right. <laughs> but, right. but, but he can be charged for what he did. Exactly, exactly. And, and as a, in my opinion, as, a, as an actor, I don't think he should be charged, but as a producer of the film, since it, his money was behind it, I think he should bear some responsibility. Yeah, I think that's the way it'll go. Yeah, because... I think an actor, an actor has every right to say, you know, I don't know how this technology that you're asking me to use works. Right. So I'd like to have someone next to me making sure that I'm using it properly. That's that's fair. Yes. But if as the producer you hire the wrong person to stand next to you and show you how to use it, then you just brought the liability back on yourself. Exactly. So that's that's where I stand on Alec Baldwin. I mean, if you can like him or not as an actor, but as as a producer of the movie Rust, I think he should be held accountable. That's my opinion. But uh, I agree. I'm I'm sure we'll see more of you on. Uh, news programs and everything until they decide what's going to happen with uh, Alec Baldwin and the rest. Yeah, I'll, I'll be back on um, News Nation tomorrow. At
four on TMZ again on Friday. Okay. And in my inbox, uh, another request now from BBC. Oh, nice. So you're busy. But keep up I with Pyro Nemesis. That's... It doesn't say anything, but investors see it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today on Radio Soup. Well, thank you so much. What a great show you have. Well, thank you.